Good morning. Greetings in the name of Jesus. I'm a little nervous this morning for some reason. I haven't preached in a while, here at least. And, uh, but I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad for the privilege of, of preaching the Word. I just thought it uh, noteworthy to call attention in our bulletin that there is a couple here this morning that has an anniversary today and they've been married for 63 years. Would it be appropriate to give some applause? Anyone else here that's been married 63 years or more? I don't see any hands, so I think you've got it top, Larry and Katie, Lord bless you. I would have been six years old, and so I don't really remember. I'm sure I was at your wedding, but I don't remember being there. Was, apparently, it wasn't glamorous enough to really strike any memories with me. The other thing I am blessed to see this morning is... Uh, Jason had a birthday celebration yesterday. When was your birthday? Thursday. Thursday. And he hit 40. Now that's quite an accomplishment as well. Lord bless you in that. And some of his relatives came all the way from wherever they live. Leon has a sister here this morning and a brother and a brother-in-law. Leon, would it be worthwhile to introduce them? Maybe you could have them stand and just kind of show their faces to everyone. We don't try to embarrass people, but we do like to, to see. Aha. Well, Lord bless you. Lord bless you for coming out and celebrating this time with the Wangard family. This morning, I'd like to show you something that I brought along in my pocket, if I can find it. It is it's pretty crude, I recognize. I had one made that was better than this. Somehow I lost it. This is, has two strings attached to it with kind of a pouch on the bottom of it. Can you see it? What would you think that this might supposed to represent here? Maybe one of you boys up here. Yeah, I was hoping you'd catch on. This is a sling. Have you ever used one of these? Anybody ever used a sling or tried to th throw a stone? Any success? Shoot birds and so on? Oh, windows. Well, we, when we called slingshots in my day, we had these forked sticks that we put a rubber band on it or an inner tube or something, and it worked. Uh, 
It's interesting. Who do you associate with a slingshot or a sling to throw stones? David, yeah, in the scripture. And I'd, I'd like to reference him some this morning. Um, it's scripture says in Judges 20, verse 16, it's talking about the tribe or the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. And in Benjamin, there were 700 men in their fighting army. 700 men among the fighting men, it says, that were left-handed. And every one could sling stones at a hairbreadth, at a hairbreadth, and not miss. Now, I was reading up a bit on this, and a different writer said that the, there's a certain writer from the, of old history that says, these men were accurate to within 200 yards. I think that would be fairly good for you that uh, hunt deer to shoot a deer at 200 yards. And so they could, and the, the velocity of the objects that they threw was tremendous. It didn't give miles per hour, but yeah, it, it was pretty accurate. And the idea of being left-handed was actually, they were, may have been also right-handed, but they had another weapon in the, in the right hand. And it would catch the enemy off guard if they were able to sling a stone with the left hand. So the amazing thing is, maybe, that these men had become that way. How, how much effort did it take? And it said some of their sons, their, their sons were trained at an early age. In fact, in order for them to eat when they were training, they had to shoot bread off the top of a pole or else they went hungry. So, of course, you would practice so you could eat. And so they were able to do that. I'd like to look at three words, just identify several words that I'd like to talk about this morning. The first word is skill. Did it take skill to shoot a sling. Now the sling designed in those days may have been all from one piece of leather. Uh, pocket of course and then tapered up. I'm not sure. I didn't see a picture but according to some writings that I wrote. So it's not like this crude thing that I have here. And I've tried to throw stones with a sling I had made earlier and um, it was a disaster. I could not even hit the wall somewhere, you know. You needed, definitely needed to do, have a skill. And skill, the, the definition, the primary definition or number one definition of the word skill is to do something well. That's a skill. Then I'd like to also look at, re reference habit this morning. A habit. You have any habits? Sometimes we talk about bad habits, and then sometimes we have, we say, well, that's a really good habit. A habit, according to the dictionary, is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. That's a habit. 
And then the last word I'd like to look at is law. And there's different meanings for law, quite a few. In fact, this is meaning number 10 in the dictionary that I looked. It says, a principle based on the predictable consequences of an act, condition, etc. A law. Like the law of gravity. We know it's predictable. Or, more specifically, a law that Scripture talks about that I'd like to actually talk about this morning is the law of sowing and reaping. I'd like to look at that somewhat. Uh, in Galatians 6, if you'd want to turn there in your Bibles, I'm going to read uh, three verses there and uh, make some comments about these verses. It says in Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the of flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So it talks about a sowing here and a reaping. This is the time of year, and even earlier, maybe last of April till about now, where, in fact, I was talking to yesterday to someone that said they planted a good bit of their garden yesterday. And it was pretty dry, so they probably will need to do some irrigating to bring it up. And this morning, uh, even coming to church, I saw the uh, person up that sells sweet corn a lot. He, was, he had his irrigation going for his sweet corn, so it's been dry here. And you know, even as children, we know that when we sow, the expectation is when we sow that those crops will grow lettuce maybe, or we sow radishes, and we don't, we expect what we sow, we, we expect to reap what we sow, right? You don't plant a radish, radishes, and then later think, well, and you go out and dig, and aha, lo and behold, a potato. That's just not the way it is. Or when we plant sweet corn, we reap, hopefully, sweet corn. It's not going to be strawberries. It's going to be sweet corn. So that is a law of nature, but it's also a scriptural law here. A law that we find here is using this as a, the natural sowing and reaping as a, maybe we could say as an illustration or a metaphor for how it is in our life. We sow what we reap. That's what this verse says in Galatians. In verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You are today, to a good, a good, bit, a good bit of what you are today, who you are today is because what you have been sowing. 
we could say in the past, what, five years ago, you were so? In fact, a brother just told me to, this morning that he's reaping the consequences of something he sowed a number of years ago. This week, he's reaping those consequences. Now, it's not, it gives the connotation here, be not, God is not mocked. Uh, but it's also saying that he that sows good things will then reap of those good things. Now, this is true, not just in a future life somewhere, but in our current experience, the law of reaping what we sow. So you are today, because of what was sown yesterday or last year or up to this point. And then also, think ahead a bit, in five years, you will be what you are sowing today. Does that make sense? You are going to reap, you're going to reap what you are sowing today. So we should pay attention to what we do and what we sow. And I'd like to look now at the example of David. He's the one that we think of when we think of a sling and some stones. And this is a story that's found in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And I'm not going to, you can turn to it if you want. But this is a fascinating story. To me, probably one of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament. Here is a story of David. It's a story actually in the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 15. It talks about Saul's failure and his disobedience to God. And we have God giving instructions to Samuel. The, Samuel was the last judge that Israel had. Samuel the prophet. And he had ordained or he had appointed Saul, anointed Saul to be king. And we know the life of Saul and his disobedience. He took pride when he was a little in his own eyes. God blessed him. But then he became proud and he decided to disobey God. He was to destroy the Amalekites, I think. I didn't check that out. And everything they had, well, he kept, of course, the best of the sheep and the oxen. And God judged him for that. Because of that, he was to lose his throne. Well, so... In the beginning of chapter 16, God comes to Samuel and he says, I want you to go to quit mourning. Why are you still mourning for Saul? I rejected him as king. That, that is past. I am, have judged him. And I want you to go and appoint and anoint one of the sons of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so Samuel says, there's no way I can go. If Saul finds out, he's going to kill me. Well, then God instructed, you take a heifer along, and you go there, and you, you sacrifice, you call Jesse and his sons. And you know the story. And it says when he showed up there to give the sacrifice, the elders of the city or the town trembled. Apparently were saying, you know, I've been in churches already, 
fact, the church in Belize was a bit that way. I, one time I decided, we're going to visit every home while we're down here. And it's where Daryl Hershberger's were there. Daryl said, John, they're, they're all trembling. He didn't say it that way, but he said, what's up? This, to them, and it was not what I intended or wanted. In fact, we just kind of backed off and didn't do that. But these, these elders, they thought, this important judge is coming to see me, to see us in the city. What's wrong? And so they trembled. They were scared. What's, what, what is happening here? Well, he, they made the appointment, and it's striking to me that Jesse, he had eight sons, and he didn't even consider it necessary to bring his youngest son to this feast. I'm not sure what he thought of that, and or even what David thought of that. He was that youngest son. And the, the elder son, of course, always had the inheritance, and they always had the the advantage, the double portion, scripture talks about the importance of the eldest son. And he brought the eldest son, Jesse did, in front of Samuel. And God said, don't look. I don't see as you see. I see the heart. We judge by what we see on the outside. I look at you. You look at me. You look at people. And we kind of form conclusions. We, we pass some conclusions on what kind of a person that is by what we see on the outside, which is what Scripture says. You look, man looks on the heart or on the outside, but God has the ability to see the heart, and he knows really what kind of a person that he's seeing. So he knew, I think it was maybe Eliab was the oldest, went down to the next and then the next, and God said no. And now all the sons had passed. Seven sons had passed before him. God said no to every one. And he was a bit puzzled. And he said, is that all the sons you have? Well, I have this young son yet. He's taking care of the sheep. And so Samuel said, go send for him. And David was brought before him. He said, anoint him. He's the one I have chosen to be the next king of Israel. What an amazing story. Now let's look a bit at this young man in chapter 17, I think it is. It gives in 16, it gives the, this story of choosing and anointing, I think it is, David. Then in 17, it goes to where he went, he was tending the sheep, and his father said they had war with the Philistines. You know the story. And the Philistines were on one side of the valley, Israel on the other side. And so um, I think the families of the soldiers of, of the Israelites were responsible to feed their own sons. And so David sends, called, his father calls David, Jesse says, send, I'm going to send these cheeses and these bread and whatever else to your brothers. Three of their brothers were fighting. I think the three oldest were fighting. For Israel. So David goes, and you know, the giant came out, giant Goliath came out, and he challenged. While David was there, he heard him challenge. And you know the story. It's a very familiar story to all of us. He ends up putting on 
and saying that he's willing to go fight. Who is this Philistine, this heathen that defies the armies of the living God? That's what David cared about, God's reputation. Now let's just look at the type of person that David was. He's the one then that approached Goliath. It says, you know, it says he ran forward. He rejected Saul's armor. He just went as he was. It says he has a staff in his hand. And he goes down yet and he picks five stones. And some, some have speculated the reason that he picked five stones is because there were Goliath and then they had four brothers that were giants as well. It talks of these later when they were slain. So for, for whatever reason, he had five stones and the giant looked at him with scorn and disdain. Goliath did. Said, come on here, I'm going to give your flesh. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air, the beasts. You're going to rot out here. And David said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear. But he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he's going to give you into my hand today. And so he took a stone and with that slingshot, he hurled that stone and he was so accurate that it hit him right in the weakest part of his head or maybe even his whole body says it hit his forehead and it sank in. So that means it would have sank in through the bone, as I understand that. And he fell face down. David runs to him and he pulls out his gigantic sword and it says he slew him. And then he cut off his head. And later it says he carried that head to Jerusalem and appeared before Saul with it. That seems a bit gruesome. That's the way battles were in those days. So Israel uh, won a great victory because of David. Now let's just look a bit at what shaped David and why he was the type of person he was. Maybe several questions here. Do you think David's life was just a haphazard array of events up to this point. And this defined him for who he was. Is this what made David a great man because he faced... Now, he, he was. He became a great man because he was willing to face the giant. But why was he willing to face the giant? And here, all of a sudden, he's just living a haphazard life. Do you think that's possible? And all of a sudden, he's able to rise up against this giant, and he does something that nobody else is doing. Well, I just don't believe that. What if David, the giant killer, had been David, the lazy boy? You know, some boys have that reputation. Some men, some of us men do too. Oh, he's a bit lazy. What if David would have been that kind of person that 
his dad, his father would have asked him to do something and he would have just procrastinated. Dad had to remind him again and again. It doesn't really say in scripture what kind of a boy he was, but we deduct what kind of a boy he was. What if he would have taken the hours out on the hillside away from his mom and dad where nobody could see him? What would you do at that age? Age what, 16? Maybe even younger, 17? He was taking care of his sheep and he had developed a habit of being on his smartphone. Just taking it easy, just retiring from life. Was that the kind of person he was? You know, of course, they didn't have smartphones back then. But he had a slingshot. So what do you think he was doing? It says later, then, in the, about chapter 17, or 18, that Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. It says at the moment of his anointing, David was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled him. But the, the, Holy, the, the Spirit had departed. It says in the same place that the Spirit had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit troubled Saul at times. And so they were debating what they should do when this evil spirit was on him. And Saul said, well, is there anyone? He loved good music, apparently. Is there anyone that can play the harp well? That seems to soothe me and the evil spirit can leave. And one of the servants of Saul, well, I do know. David, the son of Jesse, is an excellent and a very skilled person with a harp. So Saul said, get him for me. And when David played, the evil spirit would leave Saul. Now, out there spending time with the sheep, he apparently, I don't know if he had a satchel that he carried his harp out there as well. I would guess maybe he had his harp out there as well. And so maybe as a young lad, he had his sling with him. And this, by the way, was also helpful in defending or in chasing off wild animals. In fact, he convinced Saul that he could face the giant because he said there's a bear that came and took one of the sheep. And I overcame that bear and I slew him. I don't know if he used his slingshot to stun the bear as well. And a lion did the same thing. And I took that sheep out of their mouth and I saved that sheep. That was one of the things that convinced Saul, well, maybe this is more than just a boastful young lad. Maybe he's truly who he says he is. So as David threw a stone, maybe he saw a knot on a tree, fairly close and he threw a stone and he threw a stone till finally he, hit, he could hit that knot every time he threw the stone and then he said well let's back up a bit and he did it some more and some more and perhaps then he would spend time on his harp 
Now, if you play an instrument, I don't, sad to say. I've tried already. I tried playing guitar when I was a youth, and I soon uh, realized it takes more than what I really wanted to contribute to that, so I quit. But I know some, some, some of you can play piano. Some of you can play guitar, no doubt. Maybe some other instruments, a violin, maybe. Uh, that takes... That takes a lot of practice to become skillful. Time, energy to become skillful. And some of you are students yet at high school maybe or even grade school or, or beyond that. And you know that I remember thinking at school when we had some, some studies, there was some subject, one subject in particular that I really liked, and that was math, but there were some subjects I thought, you know, they're just about as worthless as they come. What kind of, why do, would I ever need to do this? English was one of those, by the way, and I regret to this day, you know, I, I preached, I became a preacher then, and it would have been really good to have a better, my daughter, Kendra, has reminded me different times, she has been the one that has kept my grammar uh, reasonably straight. Be, the, the things that we learn at school, just a reminder to you students that applying yourself, we can go home and we have homework and we could spend time playing a game, uh, electronic game or those kinds of things and even us adults spend time doing things that Waste, literally waste time. You can be on this cell phone. This thing can be a real time waster. And there's even content on here that's not good for you. Someone said they could, I, I don't know if I'd had that capability. I don't think I would, but I could, if you give them their cell phone, they, they can tell you what your interests are just by bringing up what you've been watching on here. You know, this thing is amazing. It picks up even conversations and decides what advertisements to send you. It knows what you're watching, and so it puts more of that content. You're watching bad things, things that are not good for you. It, it knows that. Somehow this device understands that, and it puts more of that on if you don't block it take care of that or discipline yourself. I don't think David had any idea as a 10-year-old boy, I don't think he did, that the moment would someday come when in fact the integrity of God would rest upon his skill. Now we could say this was a, definitely a miracle of God. Well, I don't want to take any glory away from God. But would God have used David if he wouldn't have had developed this skill? My question. The things that you develop in your life, when you could be wasting your time, God can use. There's a moment, perhaps, or a time when there's opportunity there to use that skill.
Why didn't God then just use someone else who had never slung a stone so he could get all the glory? Think about that. God has a way of taking people who have developed a skill maybe in language. We know we have ministered to many Spanish people in Elkhart. Maybe a skill in nursing or a skill in mechanics or a skill in typing or a skill in electronics that didn't just somehow you had that without a lot of work to develop that skill, that understanding and that study involved to become the person that then at some point in life God uses you to advance his kingdom. There's a call goes out at times saying we could use the skill of some medical personnel, maybe even a doctor. It could be used in the kingdom. Don't expect God to somehow, I just drift along and I'm not applying myself and I'm lazy and when I have free time I just go take a nap. We, don't, we won't develop. And so I encourage, especially you younger ones, use the time God gives you wisely, your spare time. That's one of the curses, maybe, of the generation today. Not that I'm blaming them, but lots of free time, lots of money, lots of free time. You know, I can remember, and I hate to hesitate to say oh, the good old days, but it wasn't like always good either. But I remember when well, I grew up on a farm, and we got home from school, and it was just expected that we worked. We took care of things. And we had to work during the summer. There wasn't a lot of spare time. In fact, I have an older brother one time that was upset and complaining about him, and I heard him say, the only time I have off is on Christmas and on my birthday. <laughs> or Sundays, I think. It was Sundays and Christmas. Well, it wasn't that bad. So what do we do with that spare time that we have? And so that's what I'm calling all of us to this morning. There are some habits that we've developed that are just plain big time wasters and I am, I have to watch myself with this thing as well. It is so easy to spend a lot of time on this thing. Doing what? There are some very productive things that this thing can do and there's things that we can listen to that are upbuilding and edifying, but there's, even then, it, it hinders conversation. If my wife is on hers and I'm on mine, we don't visit like we should. And we all know that we live in a pleasure-oriented society. In Mark 4, verse 19, it says, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. 
God wants us as his children to bear fruit. And these lusts, these pleasures come in, and it says they choke the word. And we don't produce the fruit that he wants us to produce. Luke 8, 14, it says the same thing. And are choked with pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Maybe a little start, but then it just gets choked. We don't have time to keep developing the fruit or allowing the Spirit, the Spirit of God, to develop the fruit. The, the word pleasure in Scripture is, the Greek word is hedon, and it is used of the gratification of the natural desire or sinful desires, sensual desires or delights and lust. It's used in numerous ways. Those are what pleasure is. Pleasure chokes that we bring forth no good fruit. It somehow seems like it has to add up to some form of pleasure. And one part of it may want to be spiritual. I think in our hearts we all want to be spiritual. And then the other part of us wants to be sensual. In James, it calls that two, those two opposing forces, double-mindedness. And you're not going to prosper. A double-minded man, it says, is unstable in all his ways. So we've heard the expression for many years, what we feed grows. There are many empty people who have stopped growing and are spending their lives in pursuit of little more than amusement. And you break that word down, amuse. Do you know what it means? The A or the A in front of amusement means without. And then the last word means to muse, without muse. Amuse is a good thing, but amusement means you're somehow disengaged. You're not thinking. It's just empty. There's nothing there. I'd like to end with a quote from a book. I think maybe I've given this quote here before, but it's something that's stuck with me, and this is written by... This book was written by Elizabeth George. And I know many of you ladies probably have this book. It's called A Woman After God's Own Heart. And I would highly recommend all you ladies and even you husbands. I read the book and was very challenged by what this lady had to say. And here's what she has to say. Success comes when preparation meets opportunity. Now, as she's defining success is what I'm saying. The success comes, came to David because he developed some skills. When success meets opportunity, God is responsible for presenting the opportunities in his time, place, and manner, but we are responsible for cooperating with his efforts to prepare us.
Do you understand what that's saying? It's up to you, young men, young ladies, all of us, to prepare ourselves, to spend the necessary time in the Word. God will bring that opportunity then. It's His job. We don't have to go necessarily looking for the opportunities. God knows what we've developed in our hearts and where our hearts are at. And then He presents, I can use Him in this setting here to bring glory to my name and to advance the kingdom of God. The last verses here in Galatians 6, verse 9, it says, and let us not be weary. It says, uh, we reap what we sow. And then he he gives us this encouragement. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We are going to reap if we faint not. So let's not become weary in well-doing. Let's do that. And then it adds this yet in verse 10, and as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them which are your fellow church members. May the Lord bless. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the scriptures that minister can minister to our needs. We pray that